Creativity is not just, do you do music or do you art? It's not just like that. It's, are you able to think outside the box? Are you able to solve problems? Are you able to actually create things? Uh, being a builder is a creative endeavor. It starts with curiosity. So I think curiosity is, it's the one ingredient I've always seen in terms of coaches that rise the ranks, is they're curious. They want to know more. And it's a more, they're more interested in learning more than like saving their own egos. It's about that curiosity. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chasing Excellence. My name is Patrick Cummings. As always, I am joined by Ben Bergeron. Every week here on the show, we dedicate some time to exploring how we can live a life, better health, and increased fulfillment. We answer your questions about the five factors of health, dive deep on living a life of excellence, and explore the strategies and frameworks to help us chase what truly matters. Thank you so much for joining us this week. How the heck are you, Ben? I'm doing great. Thanks, Patrick. Good to see you, my man. What we've got this week, listener questions about getting better at burpees, snap judgments, and getting back to the gym when your baby is keeping you up at night. And just to clarify, that's not to get better at snap judgments. That was poor writing. Two different things. Getting better at burpees, and we're going to talk about snap judgments. In case somebody's curious, our workout this week is uh, going to be about balancing the need to do work we like, being the financial provider for our family, and becoming financially independent. And our cool down, I'm going to have a little personal note. Shout out to my old man. Uh, so stay tuned for mm. that. Uh, warm up. We start each episode with your questions about the five factors of health, those few fundamental behaviors that most positively affect our performance, vitality, and longevity. Those five factors are how we eat, how we move, how we think, how we connect and how we recover. Ready to rock? Let's do it. First question is from Joseph. It's in our move category. He says, burpees are by far my worst movement. I can be moving along in a workout, but once we have to do burpees, my heart rate spikes and it kills my stamina. I slow, I slow way down and have to keep taking breathers. Is there something I can do to increase my stamina when it comes to doing burpees? Okay, yes, there is two things you can do. One is to, which is the, the faster fix, is to learn how to do burpees slower. So instead of the normal burpee way, which is uh, you kind of jump yourself down to the ground, both feet go back, both hands hit the same time, and then you pop yourself back up, you do it where you're doing it, you kind of segment it into it's essentially six slow steps. Not to go through all the steps, but it's basically bring one foot back, then the other foot back, slowly lower your chest to the ground, peel yourself up. It's like that worm burpee. One foot comes up, other foot comes up, jump in the air, do your clap if you guys clap, back down. And then, so you just slow the whole thing down. What a lot of people do is just like running. People that can't run, they go out and their first 200 meter run is done in 28 seconds. And yeah, the rest goes to crap. Yeah. Now that's kind of obvious when I say that, but there's another way you can do it. Same thing. It's called a breathing burpee. And what happens to a lot of people is when they get prone on the ground, they're essentially like a beached whale at that point. You can't breathe because your face is in the, the mat on the floor and all your body weight is compressing down. It's not a great breathing position. So what you do is you take a little bit of extra time at the top. So before you kick down the next burpee, you just take a breath. So you go down, come up. Do your jump, clap, whatever it is. Once you land, one, go back down, come back up, two. And it creates this rhythm to it that allows you to not just kind of like go bonkers and haywire and all the place. And it allows you to breathe well in the way that your body is designed to breathe, which is in a standing position. Okay. That's the first one that could fix you tomorrow if that's the case. The longer but more realistic answer is to do more burpees. <laughs> uh, and you can do this a whole bunch of different ways. Um, but one of the ways that I like is usually in this situation, it sounds like the burpee is a stamina issue, not a speed or anything else. Um, and for that reason, it works really well if you do X number of burpees on the minutes for X number of minutes. So if you were to do this and commit to this, for two to three weeks, which is not a long time, this could fix it, which is essentially um, start off by doing, and I don't know for this person, but let's just call it six burpees on the minute, every minute for 10 minutes, whatever it is. If that's a real challenge, then the number's three, four, five, whatever it might be. If you're pretty proficient, maybe the number's 10. 
But the idea is if you do those, let's call it five, five burpees on the minute for 10 minutes, you're getting those 50 burpees in. It's in 10 minutes, which is a very, very slow pace for 50 burpees, but you're getting in the burpees and you're doing it at essentially what runners would call a tempo pace, which is not zone two, but it's not high intensity intervals. It's at this pace that's actually slower than you would do it in a workout or competitive setting, but that's what allows your body to, this is comfortable and that's a good place to be. What most people do is they get into this environment where they're in a workout and they basically go right through that zone, which now they're in survival mode and the body's not making any adaptations. It's actually the detriment of what the it's one of the small and few detriments to the training program that we do is that people don't do enough of the training at a lower intensity because that's not what gave this thing its special secret sauce, which is the high intensity. It is the thing that gets results. So I don't want to say that's not, but training at lower intensities more frequently is a way to bust through plateaus in a big, big way, especially if it's endurance related. That's not going to get you a 400 pound back squat. You doing... 50, uh, you know, um, 10 air squats every minute on the minute for 10 minutes is not going to get you a 400 pound back squat. It won't. But when it's more endurance based, that's how this thing does work. You need the, the, the volume at a lower intensity. Other ways we also throw this in there every now and then just do a big set of slow ones. So if you're doing those two weeks and every, and you get to like day six and you're like, this is so boring. This is so terrible. I hate this. Then just forget about a clock, forget one thing and just do 40 burpees in a row slowly. And then go back to the on the minute thing. Next question is from Drew in our think category. He says, I've been studying stoicism since you guys turned me on to it uh, back in 2017. This has led to tremendous growth personally, professionally, and athletically. I have uh, become well acquainted with the major tenets of the philosophy, but I still have a lifetime ahead of me to continue to grow. The one area I am consistently struggling with is that of making snap judgments. For example, if I see a bumper sticker that expresses a view I disagree with, I find myself muttering under my breath, then I'm able to rationalize and use my training to calm down and allow them some grace. What are some ways you find to help avoid making snap judgments toward people? Great. Love it. Um, this, I think is one of the biggest things is um, judgment. We talk about it all the time. And the biggest thing we want to do is release the judgment of ourselves, right? But that can also often happen by doing, becoming aware of the judgments we have of other people, other actions, anything, right? So um, how do we go through that process? Well, he's really well along the way is this level of awareness and he's using his training to get through this. And you became aware of this four years ago and you're, you're, you're now using the practice. You just, we haven't done it enough. You've done it for four years. Like it takes 10 years to become a master of something. So you're 40% of the way there. As long as you do this constantly, if you don't do it constantly, it'll take a little bit longer than that, but that's not to put the long road ahead of you. That's just say, say, Hey, a level of patience because you're doing the right things. This is, it's awesome. Now, what are some other things we can maybe some other quivers we might be able to use in, in, um, in fighting this tendency, a big one's perspective, right? And this perspective that, you know, Heather, I've learned so much from this, from my wife, Heather is, um, she's like, you know, we don't know. We don't know. Like that. Yes. That person, um, in traffic cut you off and zoomed up and flew off that. And you're like the, the, the tendency there is to like, rage against that person, or at least go, what an idiot. And we don't know if, um, they have a baby in the backseat choking, right? And that might be like, okay, like, yeah, what's the likelihood of that? We don't know. So because we don't know, and because necessarily there's plenty of times in my life where I've had really strong opinions one way and I've swung back the 180, the other direction. And I can remember being like poo-pooing and diminishing and being judgmental. All the people I thought that way. And now I'm over here on the other side. It's like, oh, if I just had a little bit more perspective, knowledge, experience, whatever it was, maybe I wouldn't have thought that way so much so in that moment and laid on that judgment. And then I think the biggest one, it's still perspective, is just this understanding that it's not their fault. 
you know, we talked about this in the last episode about the people that get incarcerated and what you realize, you know, when people go to prison, most of the time you talk to these people, they are products of their environment. It is not their fault. It's what they know. It's the only thing that they've ever existed in. And it would take an extreme person to be able to combat that environment. The most likely scenario is that they are going to become what they're surrounded by. And there's that story, which we've told on here before, which I think is one of the most incredible things is there's the story of the woman that not only forgave the young man that murdered her son, but ended up adopting him as her own son because she recognized it wasn't his fault. He was so programmed into this certain way to this certain belief system that he was just acting. He was on autopilot. And when you have that level of call it what you want, understanding, perspective, or compassion for people, you're less likely to judge them so quickly because you go, hey, this is just, it's like a dog that doesn't know how to act because it's been brought up in this crazy, weird, extreme environment. And they don't know how to act around other dogs or other people or kids. So they bite and they bark, but, but it's not because they're choosing to do that, to be bad, mean dogs. It's just what they know as their default programming. So when you feel the need to be, or you feel the urge to be judgmental, the first thing I would do is exactly what he's doing is go, let's rely back on the training. This is not what I want to be. I don't want to be pouring my energy into this. It doesn't serve me. But then also just kind of these other things of like, okay, can I bring some perspective to this? Can I tell a different story to myself? Can I understand what they might be going through or where they might be coming from? I think that helps. I'm going to add one more because it's something when I read this question, it reminded me of it and I love it so much. I have it saved on my computer. It's from, um, his name is TK Coleman. He's one of the minimalists. Uh, and I heard him say this in a video once. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. He says, I have a little philosophy that's helped me out a lot in life. It's called mind your own business. And he says, to me, the only life worth living is the kind of lifestyle that can be lived in an environment where the majority of people are not like me. How powerful, how meaningful can a lifestyle be if the only way you can implement it is if everybody around you is just like you? I want the kind of philosophy of life that says all of you can disagree with me. You can live completely in an opposite manner and I can still show up and be my authentic self unthreatened by you. That is power to me. So to me, that's that's what I think about when I think about snap judgment and when I myself am guilty of it is uh, I think about that. I think mind your own business. <laughs> I love that. I love that perspective. That's yeah. amazing, right? That's that, uh, that, that idea of like, I don't want the world to conform to my beliefs, my views, my way of doing things or anything yeah. else. That's, that's phenomenal and very well said. All right. Last question we've got is in our recover bucket. It's from Elena. She says, as a mom of two wonderful daughters, five years old and nine months old, I have a question with respect to the exercise and recover pillars. I used to do CrossFit between three to four times a week and absolutely loved it. I did put a pause on it to focus on growing my family. Now I often find myself thinking and visualizing getting back to the gym. I even have the location and schedule picked out. Here's where I am looking for your input. With my input, I am with my infant, I am up on an average every two hours to support her with resettling back to sleep. I'm okay with it. And more importantly, I see that my vitality is at a great level given the broken sleep. Considering I haven't had a solid restful sleep for the last nine months, would getting back into CrossFit be recommended at this point or should I wait until the baby can sleep longer stretches? Get back in today. <laughs> Love that. Don't wait for perfect. Yep. And... You know, of the five factors, we talked about this a little bit recently, but I'm, I'm a really strong believer that there is one that has greater carryover to all of the others in a really big, impactful and powerful way. And that is the move category. Right. And obviously the most impactful way to do that is through high intensity training done through full ranges of motion with mixed modalities. It's another way of saying CrossFit. It's, it is the greatest, most powerful training platform that's ever been created Doing that will have more carryover to everything else in your life from the way that you show up for your infant to the, um, to your other, um, kids, to your work, to your, you might find your sleep improves while you're there. So yes, yes, yes. Only exception caveat to that would be like, if the only class you can make it to is the 5am class 
and you've only come off of, you know, people are always like, you hear this all the time, like we've gone, sleep's come up in terms of the, the knowledge of its importance in health. But it's gotten to the point where people are like, if it comes to like getting eight hours of sleep or going to the gym, you should sleep in and get the eight. I, I don't believe that. If you're getting under six hours, that's where the, like, the health effects happen. Right. So if you're only sleeping five hours a night um, and you have the – this is the big one – and you have the opportunity to get the additional two hours, then get the two hours. But if you're only sleeping five hours and there's no opportunity for you to make up those extra two hours, then still go to the gym. Now, you might not be able to perform at the level that you were used to, but that doesn't mean don't move. That would be like, okay, so I have a child that's staying up all night. Um, because of that, I can only eat really crappy foods. Um, when should I start eating good, healthy foods? Should I wait until it's the same thing? It's not an either or thing. It's a yes and. I was thinking about when we talked about that a few episodes ago about your your belief that sort of of the five training is the or moving however you want to put it is sort of maybe the linchpin. Is it because and the the I was I was trying to figure out if I agreed with it when I thought about it and I thought well why would that be the case? It might be the case because moving, training, going to the gym is the most inconvenient in the <laughs> general trajectory of a day. And if it's inconvenient and we do it regularly, we can't help but become the kind of person who does it. And the other ones we can kind of fit into our lives without too much inconvenience. Yes, it's harder to cook for yourself than go to McDonald's. And it's, it's less convenient to go to bed at 9 p.m. than 11 if you like Netflix. But like the, the amount of effort it takes to work out for 30 to 60 to 90 minutes a day, four or five, six days a week, it's like you can't help but change how you see yourself after having done that for some period of time. And that's why it's so powerful because if you start to change your identity, it's like, oh, I'm the kind of person who goes to the gym for, well, then I'm definitely the kind of person who can get to bed a little earlier or eat broccoli instead of French fries, right? Like those changes become yeah. easier once you convince yourself, well, man, I'm doing that really hard thing and that's really inconvenient and takes a lot out of me. So like not, you know, not eating the bread in the bread basket um, not so hard. Certainly that cascading effect to the other four categories is there. And I would argue it's there at a bigger level with the move category than it is with almost any of the others. Maybe save like mindset. Cause if you have the right mindset, you can almost do anything. Right. That's a good point. So in terms of the cascading effect, um, it is one of the biggest ones. Now um, we've said it's about relationship, but it's like, what if we're just like, you have to kind of take it on all these different levels. Well, what if we're, totally deficient in any of them. We're starting from absolute zero and we're going to bring one of them up to okay. Like which one of those would have the biggest impact on your overall health? That's what I believe. I believe that if you're um, eating just processed foods, overeating, you eat nothing but like ice cream and cotton candy and you sleep four hours a night and you're in a toxic relationship, if you um, have a really poor mindset, I believe that if for what you're saying, for the reasons of the cascading effect to other categories, I don't believe you getting better sleep is going to do that. I don't believe that you even removing yourself from the toxic relationship, although that'd be big, would do that. I don't even believe you turning from a pessimist to an optimist would necessarily do that. But I do have meaning having cascading effects to the other ones. But I have a hard time seeing, and maybe for the reasons you just laid out, I have a hard time seeing you moving to exercising for doing a CrossFit workout five days. Or let's not even talk lower than that. What she's talking about, three to four days a week going to a CrossFit gym. I have a really hard time not seeing how that doesn't have carryover effect to the other four categories. Now, that's just the cascading one. Then there's actually the, the true chemical and biological thing that happens when you do these things. We need to move. Human beings need to move. Now, you need to sleep and you need to eat and you need those things as well. But from a hormonal perspective, when you train a certain way, the carryover effect that that has to your gut microbiome, to your muscles, to your bones, to the longevity, to your mental, to your brain, to the neurons, to everything else, I don't – yes, when you're in a good relationship, there's – oxytocin and there's the serotonin, but 
when you work out, it's like this cascading neurological effect that happens that benefits so many other, the system functions better. Went from the digestive system to the immune system to the muscular and cardiovascular system, we need to be moving. Now there's different levels of movement and the highest level to me is what we just talked about, but at least be moving. If you're not moving, the whole thing comes to a halt. Basically the factory shuts down. If you would like to get a question in the queue, find me on Instagram at PS Cummings, drop me a DM, we'll add it to our list and get it into a future episode. Ben and I are gonna be back uh, with our workout uh, in just a minute. But first, quick word of thanks for our sponsors this week, Ice Barrel. Ice Barrel is the official cold therapy partner of the CrossFit Games. Head to icebarrel.com, use the code excellence uh, to get $150 off your order. How is the Ice Barrel there at CrossFit New England? So we have an Ice Barrel and it's um, been used a lot more than I actually expected it would be. Yeah. Um, we are in the summer months, so maybe yep. that's part of it. But um, the athletes and the members are, are jumping into that thing. And when it was at the games, you know, every not everyone, I hate these absolutes. I try to catch <laughs> myself, but, um, wow, what a cool way to just get, um, um, make this really easy and accessible for people. It's just, you can fill the thing up with a hose and drop some ice in it. It mm -hmm. doesn't take any extra electricity or anything else. It's a really cool, effective way, um, to do this, um, and, you know, put it anywhere. Essentially, you can put it in your living room. Right. All right. The ice barrel does not, as Ben is saying, take up much space while still comfortably holding up to 105 gallons. And it's suitable for people up to six foot six. So, Ben, you can fit in. So no, don't worry about that. Uh, if you're looking for a better way to reset your body and mind and begin your cold therapy journey, try ice barrel and get one hundred fifty dollars off your order. Head to icebarrel.com. Use the code excellence. That's icebarrel.com and use the code excellence for one hundred and fifty bucks off your order. I will get sorry. I will give a little hack to people as well is that people are scared off by that is get into a, um, a neutral temperature. Mm, just water. get in. Yeah, just get in and then add ice once you're in. There you go. It's way, it's like, it's way, it's kind of like the frog doesn't jump out of the pot if you slowly boil it. But if you put drop in a boiling pot, it'll never stay in. This episode is also brought to you by Momentus. Momentus is a high performance supplement and sports nutrition company whose mission is to provide consumers with the highest quality and innovative products possible combined with the knowledge and insights of why and how to use them. You may be hearing a lot about Momentus. They were, they, uh, were recently named the official sports nutrition and supplementation partner of CrossFit and the Nobel CrossFit Games. They've been awarded nine innovation contracts from the Department of Defense to create human optimization products that can benefit our armed forces. In addition, the Momentous product portfolio is act actively purchased by over 150 professional and collegiate sports teams because they are formulated with scientifically backed and highest quality ingredients. Plus, they've been rigorously tested by independent third parties, including NSF certified for sport. If you want to check them out, head to livemomentous.com and use the code excellence to get 20% off your first order. Again, that is livemomentous, M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com. Use the code excellence to get 20% off your order. Okay, our workout this week is a question from Casey. Casey asks, do you have any tips for dealing with being unhappy with your career and wanting to make a change, but also having to balance this with being a financial provider for your family? I have a long-term goal of becoming financially independent to where I can be a full-time mom, but having trouble figuring out how to get to this goal and how to find happiness in the here and now. I feel like eight plus hours of my day are wasted doing something I dislike when all I want to do is spend more time with my kid. So I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this too, because I know this is a, a topic yeah. that you you like to talk about, and we'll um, turn this more into a conversation than me just giving my opinions. But cool. for starters, um, I'm with you. I just want to spend time with my kids too. So like, that's <laughs> right. a starting point. Yeah. So we start with our wants. So we start there. Okay, now from there, here's my belief on wants. We can get what we want with enough patience, and perseverance. So hard work, patience, and perseverance. If we buckle down, don't get distracted, and don't get thrown off course by a gazillion things that are going to be coming at us, 
we can get what we want, but not on our timelines and not without bumps in the road. So again, like if you want to become financially independent, that's great. I, that's a, a phenomenal, awesome, amazing goal. And I think that Patrick, you share something similar and I certainly want that as well. With enough work, dedication, discipline, and perseverance, meaning not getting thrown off track, we can do that. We, You know that you can do that and I know that I can do that if we work hard enough at it. But you can't put a timeline on it. You can't say, I'm going to get there in five years. You can't say, I'm going to get there and it's going to be easy when to get there because it's not. Anything worth getting is going to have hardship along the way. So this is the first place we have to start with is like wants in general and recognize that we can get what we want within reason. You know, you can't, you know, you can't hang out on the sun. Like that's impossible. Yep. Right. You can but, want to be six foot six, but you, but it will not help. Right. right. <laughs> so with enough patience and perseverance, we can't get what we want, but not without the bumps in the roads and not on our timeline. Second thing is there's a difference between wants and reality. And this is one of the big things that we all get caught up in is we have these wants. We want it to be sunny when we go camping. We want to spend time with our kids. We want our jobs to be amazing and fulfilling. We want X, Y, and Z. And then there's reality. And reality could give two craps about your wants. And that's what creates this big divide that most of us are living in and inside this gap of we have this expectation of the way we want life to unfold for us, yet it's not unfolding that way. So I like um, Stutz, Stutz? Stutz. I like Stutz's. He's like, basically, there's like three things that we just all have to accept. Like, We need to accept that there is pain and suffering in being a human being, that it's part of life. Now, whether that's insecurity that causes suffering, whether that's your um, a disease that you or a family member gets, or it's um, any sort of level, uh, you know, you're, you lose a job, someone says something bad about you on social media, like any of that is pain and suffering. Yep. We have to accept that that's coming at us more often than not, honestly. The next is that there is uncertainty and that nobody ever has predicted the future accurately. Every single one of us needs to get, come to grips that we are living, that we live with uncertainty at all times. And no matter how much planning and preparation you do, nobody was able to predict that the pandemic thing was going to happen. Maybe people go, no, this guy, this guy, but right. No one's been able to predict accurately, repetitively predict the future. At any level, in anything, no one, zero people in the 1900s predicted the internet. No one did. It, it wasn't even on their radar. It, it couldn't have been. So we have no level of predicting the future. So there's always going to be this level of uncertainty, which is something that we have to come to grips with. And if we don't, we're going to live with more suffering. And the third is, which I know you pulled this out before in different fashion, is you're always going to have to do the work. There's always work to be done. So there's always going to be a job. Even if it's not this job that you're going to that you don't like, there's going to be something else that takes away from time with your kid. And when we come to grips with those three things, that's just, it allows us a healthier space to approach this issue as opposed to leaving that off the table and going towards the, well, what would set your heart on fire? And should you be in advertising instead of accounting? It's like, that's all the small stuff until we come to, we put this stuff on the table first. Once we have that stuff on the table, then having said what she asked in the question, which is something like wasting away eight hours a day. What was yeah. the last part of it? I feel like eight hours or more of my day are wasted doing something I dislike when okay. I, all I want to do is spend time with my son. If it's something that you truly dislike and you feel like you're wasting eight hours, I really believe it's time for a change. Now, that's at odds with becoming financially independent at a certain time. So you can spend majority because there's no such thing as all of your time with your kid. So now we have to weigh and measure that a little bit and go, okay, if you were to go on this trajectory, 
how much longer would it take you to become financially independent? And if the answer is something that seems reasonable to you, and I don't know what that is, if it's one year, three years, five years, or 10, I think anybody over 10 should make a move because your kid's not going to be, you're going to lose the opportunity where your kid wants to spend time with you. I was going to say, he's not going to like you <laughs> yeah. that much. Yeah. <laughs> so figure out what that, that, that tipping point is and then figure out like, well, if I just stick this thing out as though I don't like it and though, it, and again, there's uncertainty. We can't predict the future, but we have to do some level of planning and preparation. And is that within reason? My suggestion would be if in six months you're going to be financially stable and independent and be able to spend, then stick it out. If it's 16 years, don't. Okay, now we have those two bookends. Now you and only you can figure out where that right place is in terms of your best guess on this path. And then flip that against the alternative path of no, I go this way, which will allow this much freedom. Knowing that if you're not financially free right now, you're going to have to do some level of work that's going to take some level of time away from that with your son, which I think is so noble and amazing. And I love this person for asking this question, but also realize that there is no perfect. You're not going to go to a job that every day you go to, it's going to be sunshine, rainbows, and you know unicorns running in the backyard. Even when you do jobs that like I do, jobs that you love and your passion, you feel like you're put on earth to do, there's hard times and there's struggle and there's pain and there's uncertainty. Yeah, I'll give I'll give a couple of the sort of bullet points I was thinking about when reading this question. The first is, and the, I, I swear I say this with love and I say this to myself as often as I say it to anybody else, which is that you are not a victim here. That is where anything starts with this. It, as it relates to this question, it's, you are not a victim here. You are You do not need to wait for somebody's permission to start doing the work, to your point. And I start with that because it can be easy to fall into that trap of, ah, uh, somebody gave me a job and I hate it and I, and dang it, what am I supposed to do about it? So that's step one is to make sure that you're in the right mindset of, I am going to own as much of this as I can. And I'm going to recognize that if anything's going to change, it's because I'm going to make it change. So that's step number one or the first thing I think about. The second thing is to start to figure out how you can emotionally link the job that we don't like with the life that we do like. How does this job help me spend time with my son now? How does this job help me provide for my son? How does this job help me uh, put us in a place where his schools are great and his opportunities will be great, etc.? So often we don't do the work of recognizing, well, yeah, this, this isn't ideal. This isn't what we love. This isn't what we want to do right now or forever. But maybe this is the bridge, this is the, this is the steps we need to take in order to get to a place we want to get, in this case, maybe being financially independent or to spend more time with our son. Those things that you're doing now, the job that she's doing now, that, that to the degree that she is being the financial provider for her family, is offering her a lot. And if we forget that, we can only look at one thing being bad and the thing we don't have is being good and there's no gray area in between but there's a lot of gray area in between. And the more I think we can connect ah, the thing I don't like with the, the, the stuff that I do like that it affords, that it allows for, that we start to look at the first thing differently. And I think that's really valuable because that leads into my third thing, which is that in order to, to, to become more financially independent, we have to provide more value to whomever it is we are serving, whether that's as an entrepreneur, whether that's as an employee in a big company, whether that's whatever. The the path to more financial independence is being more valuable in whatever way that you are in fact valuable. And so instead of not enjoying what you're doing, instead of worrying, etc., thinking about what is it that I do here that is of the most value to, let's just assume Casey's working, has, is an employee of some kind. What is the value that I bring this organization? Is it my creativity? Is it my connection? Is it my sales skills? Is it my communication skills? Is it my knowledge of technology? Is it my fill in the blank? What do I need to do to increase my value in this respect 
such that I can go to my boss and say, I believe that I'm providing you X, Y, and Z, and that I'd like to see a compensation bump X, Y, and Z if these conditions are met. Right? Like that's a whole different conversation. Or you can say, I've developed these skills. I now provide this value. I've got a stack of proof behind me that says so. I can now put myself on the open market and say, where can I, where, where is my next jump? And putting ourselves on the open market, looking for a new job is often the best way for us to give ourselves a raise. And so if we say, if we get really clear on what is the thing that I do that is the utmost value in my profession, in my role, in this particular uh, company, and figure out how do I do that thing better? How do I get, go even deeper? How do I make myself even more valuable? That is the flywheel that then begins to turn such that a job that is good becomes a job that is great, at least on one level, which is this sort of the salary uh, level. And if this is not the place for me and I suddenly develop all of these skills and all this value, I can then put myself on the open market and say, I believe I'm worth this. And now I can look for somebody who, who will take that. There are no victims here. That's such a powerful mindset to navigate anything. You know, we've talked about that in terms of the levels of mindset. It's the worst place to operate from. And I think that when we talk about, you know, the victim mindset, people only see it in extremes, right? Where it's just like the, the, you know, the, the alcoholic or the drug addict that's like, it's not my fault. Like the world did this to me. It's like, you know, in smaller ways that we're all susceptible to. And if we can always just have that, like, is this creeping in a little bit? Is this in there a little? Because it's not... For most people that are listening to this show, it's not going to be the dominant feature. Yes, but it's always so going to it's yeah. always going to be there though. And when it's there a little bit, it doesn't allow us to do the things that we actually can do. They gave you this job, like it's it's, and no one's forcing you to be there. You can choose to be there, or you could choose to move to you know backwoods, you know. X, Y, Z and live at a, a, a fraction. You could probably be financially independent right now, like for most people. Realistically, you know, if you were, it's just a matter of the lifestyle that you're willing to live. So it's really what you start to realize there is like, oh no, it's a little bit more on me, my level of comfort, my ego, my level of um, necessary accomplishment that I need to have in order to feel good about myself. It's actually not about job time with son. If it was truly, truly more time with son, maybe I could do that now, but not at the level of comfort, achievement, ego that I've position myself at. So I've gotten to this rung on a ladder. I'm not willing to move off of that because I like the way I feel about myself with this stuff. I was just reading something the other day and I just pulled it up so I could get it right. But there's um, this organization called 80,000 uh, 80, Hours. Um, they did some research to figure out what actually makes worthwhile work. Um, like what are the ingredients of what people kind of consider like this is work worth doing cool. like I'm happy here. So there are six things they found. Number one, you're good at it. And this, this isn't an order, but uh, this is the order that I have it in front of me. So I'm just going to read it. Uh, number one, you're good at it. Number two, it helps people. Number three, it's engaging. Number four, you work with a supportive team. Number five, there are no major negatives like the salary is really terrible or you have to drive four hours to, you know, back and forth to get there. And number six, it fits your lifestyle. And so I, I thought about, I hadn't thought about that until we, we were just chatting here. Was this but, from um, 10X? Uh, they probably did something with TEDx, but I got this out of a book called 80. No, sorry, 10X. 10X, no. Uh, 10X different. is easier than 2X. Nope, sorry, I didn't understand. Because this, no, was this, is so, this was referenced in a book I read recently as well. Okay, cool. I got it again. It's yeah. called, called 80,000 Hours. Awesome though. I love it. Yeah. And so I just, I just think about that because it's entirely possible that what Casey's responding to is only that single metric of, uh, well, she's, she might just be responding to one thing inside of this job that she quote unquote doesn't like. It might be that the pay is not as good as she wants. It might be that the people she's around isn't great. But when you actually start to look at what those six things are, you might recognize, or Casey might recognize, you know what, like four of those things I've got, and it's these two things that I don't have. And back to where we started this or where I started, it was like, 
okay, I'm not a victim here. Could I make the this environment better for myself? Uh, it, like, for example, it, it, it doesn't fit my life. Well, is there a way that you could uh, um, negotiate for uh, four hours, a four uh, day work week? You take Friday off, you spend it with your son. Is that possible? I don't know. But is it possible if you don't ask? No. Right. And so just thinking about those six ingredients for all of us to recognize, like that's the that's the makings of a job that we feel fulfilled by. And so let's not just look at one metric of pay. Let's not just one look at one metric of like, oh, it's fun or I like it or I'm good at it. But to recognize like, okay, these six things will make it more fulfilling. Do I have any of these things here? And if not, well, that's probably a good indication to your point of like, maybe it's time to move on. But it might be that you've got four, three, five of them, and the other ones are fungible enough that you can make, you can step yourself closer to it such that I don't hate it that much. I'm not so worried about it. I do see value here. I do see a future here. And that can take up an enormous amount of stress. And you can replace that stress with, how can I get better at this? How can I increase my own skills, my own values, my own contribution such that, fill in the blank, I can get paid more, I can, I can put myself on the job market. I want you to repeat those six again, because I want sure. to do it, th- uh, but not uh, for us. There also might be the very likely case that all of those six are missing from Casey. Totally. Absolutely. And if that's, and if that's the case, like, I don't want you to hear like, you're not a victim. You got to stick this thing out. You got to figure out how to make it. Like, there is the really real option of like making a real life change. And that's what I, that's what, that's what this conversation is always about, is having the courage and before courage, having the curiosity. We recently talked about like creating alliterations for mm-hmm. um, um, value sets. Yes. And Heather and I got to talking. It was a great day. We're, we're on our boat, just the two of us. And amazing. So lucky that we get to do that. But we're just starting. And we got to this talk about creativity. And um, it just spurred this thing, this awesome conversation about how Creativity is not just, you know, do you do music or do you art? It's not just like that. Are you able, it's, are you able to think outside the box? Are you able to solve problems? Are you able to actually create things? Uh, Being a builder is a creative endeavor. And it got me to, ooh, like this is the way my brain thinks. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to work that in there. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to work in curiosity, I need an alliteration. I was, it was humble, hungry, happy. Yeah. It was live, love, uh, lead, uh, dot, Learn, dot, dot. Legacy. L- yep. l- yeah, exactly. So <laughs> now it's gotta be, so what's the thing's going to fit with the C's? And it was, um, it starts with curiosity. So I think curiosity is, it's the one ingredient I've always seen in terms of coaches that rise the ranks is they're curious. They want to know more and it's a more, they're more interested in learning more than like saving their own egos. It's about, that curiosity. Well, then from curiosity, you need courage. You need like, you need, you need like to be brave enough to do the thing. And then you need creativity to actually like be a creator and make things. And what, what if we took that perspective to this question, right? This, and the shaping of our own lives. That's why I loved it. When I got to that, I was like, Ooh, for my own life, that works. Like, do I have the curiosity, which I certainly do, is one of the things I love doing more than anything else is like exploring what this life means. Like, what what are we here for? What do I want out of this thing? Like, ask the big questions that probably don't have answers, but that doesn't shy away from asking the questions and fumbling with the answers because the fumbling with the answers is really the, the exercise, the part of the exercise that matters the most. So are we asking and leaning into and having those conversations that being really curious about life and what it means. Well, then from there, are you brave? When you figure, when you think you figured something out, are you brave enough? Do you have the courage to act on that, to leave the job, to go and um, live in the log cabin or to sail in the Caribbean on a boat that you're able to buy because you sold your car? You know, it's like, like can that takes a lot of courage to act on what it is that you think you find inside yourself or through this exploration and then from there it's the creative thing it's 
I need to create. It's not just the, again, it's not just the music. It's not just Beyonce and Van Gogh. It's actually create something. And in terms of our lives, like, can you actually create this life in line with the vision and values? And that's such a, you know, when Heather was talking about that, it's how my brain goes, like, she's like, you know, yeah, yeah, framework, framework this thing. Yeah. But I loved how it was like, whoa, maybe it is, maybe that creative thing is really, really, um, you know, it's a, and I went, maybe these are the things I value. You know, because it's like if I value these things, then I'm able to like get to the another subset, which is like health and family and relationships and adventure and freedom and those types of things. Curiosity, courage and creativity. That's really cool. Um, do you want me to give you those six again at the job before? Yeah, move please. On? Yeah, yeah. Um, just for, uh, OK. So, again, in whatever order I have in them in front of me, you're good at it. It helps people. It's engaging. You work with a supportive team. There are no major negatives and it fits your lifestyle. Hmm. Something to think about. Okay, so I'm, I'm six for six. <laughs> Thank you everybody out there for sending us questions. Again, find me on Instagram, PS Cummings, drop me a line. We will either get it into our warm up or occasionally, as we just did, get it into our workout. All right, we're going to be back with a new shout out. Uh, and I'm going to close out with a shout out of my own. But first, this episode is brought to you with support from BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy platform, connecting you virtually with a licensed therapist who can help you get out of your own way so you can build a life of greater health and more fulfillment. Therapy can be an essential tool in essential in, uh, in achieving balance and improving your quality of life. Whether you're dealing with anxiety, depression, or just need someone to talk to, BetterHelp's licensed therapists are here to support you every step of the way. So why wait? Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash excellence today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash excellence. Okie dokie, let's do a shout out. A shout out is when we uh, take a moment to read a note or review or comment on YouTube uh, that Ben and I have received uh, as a way of saying thank you. Uh, this is from Jovanka. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Jovanka. That sounded pretty good. Yeah, sounded good. Okay, cool. We'll yeah. Uh, he, uh, he or she said, I wanted to reach out to say how principles from your show have been helping me through a hard time. Our baby was born in June and he had a rare disease or has a rare disease that we didn't expect him to have. He had an ambulance ride to the NICU, a week-long stay, a future surgery in coming months. It was is very hard seeing your baby through that. As a mom, I'm, of course, worried about the future and still processing what is happening. I keep thinking about the philosophical episode you guys had about life uh, being about getting to experience all of life's emotions, even the bad ones. That, stru- that stuck with me. Also, when you had Cole Sager and he talked about, or Cole Sager on, and he talked about uh, his NICU experience and saying that, I'm glad it's us going through this. I've listened to both episodes again as I'm working through this time and just wanted to thank you guys for the knowledge and strength I've gained over the years. I'm handling this a lot better than I thought I could. Wishing you the best, Jovanka. Um, okay, cool down. I wanted to take just a minute and give a shout out myself to my dad. My father, uh, a couple months ago, told us this, that they that they had discovered he had prostate cancer, and um, and so la- two weeks ago now, two weeks ago now, he had surgery to remove his prostate, and I went home to spend a few days with him to help. However, we didn't know how it was going to go. Obviously, major surgery like that, we don't. You can you can hope that things go well. You can hope that you're kind of back up on your feet. Um, but I wanted to go home just in case I could help with, you know, getting up out of the chair, uh, doing whatever I could. So I spent a couple of days with my, with my dad and my mom. And, uh, the good news is he recovered great. He was walking the next day. He and I took a couple 15, 20 minute walks outside. Uh, he was in good spirits. Things, things were as good as can be expected. And so there's two reasons I want to bring this up. One to give him a shout out and say, I love you and, um, that I'm glad you're doing well. But two, it, two lessons that I sort of pulled away from those few days that I spent with him. The first is that he went into the surgery healthy, incredibly healthy. Uh, uh, he's 68, 67, 68. Um, he works out. He tries to eat well. He moves a lot, plays a lot of golf. And I'm very convinced that one's ability to recover from something like that 
is entirely contingent on how you go into that as. And so the fact that he was healthy, he was a healthy weight, um, he was strong, uh, I think was a, a huge linchpin on being able to literally get up and start walking the next day and feeling as good as can be expected. But so that's the first thing. And that's not a surprise coming from you and I and talking about the things we talk about, like thumbs up to that, not a surprise, but worth highlighting. But the thing I really walked away thinking about, and I told him this a few days later after I kind of had figured it out, was not once in those I spent maybe three days with him. Not once did I hear him complain. Not once did I hear him say, woe is me. Not once did I hear him uh, bitch about the catheter or the, the how it would hurt to stand up or how much of it, it was a pain to sleep and all those things. Not once did I hear him say anything except this is what's happening. And I can't wait for a couple of days from now and I'll start to feel better. I can't wait for this catheter to get out. I can't wait for me to get you know back to the golf course. And when it was happening, that wasn't a surprise to me that if that's what I expect of him. But the reason why it really bubbled up in, in the days after was, I think I take a lot of pride in how, over the years through these conversations amongst many, uh, becoming the kind of person who doesn't complain very much, sometimes maybe to my own detriment, because I sort of we I think we can, we can not raise our hand and say I need help and and consider that being not complaining. But all things considered, like I don't complain that much. And I used to think that it was just like I just I just I worked real hard and I don't complain. But I think what I learned coming out of that experience of spending a few days with my dad is that actually that's what he taught me. Hmm. And I learned it from him. And hmm. um and so I think it's again, we talked about this in the last episode. That to me the most powerful thing in the world is the force of a positive role model. And when you have that, you can change the world. And if you don't have that, you can become that. And so, again, I just want to point out that we have that opportunity every single day to be the kind of person who can serve as a role model to other people. And so shout out to my dad for teaching me that. Thank you, Patrick. And thank you to Mr. Cummings. Yes, sir. That's awesome, right. man. We're going to wrap this up. <laughs> thank you everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews and all the other things. Ben and I will be back next week for another episode of Chasing Excellence.